If you have your Bible, take it and turn to the little epistle of 1 John, chapter 3. And inside your program this morning is a sermon outline with a couple fill in the blanks. And the scripture is on the back of that outline in case you don't have a Bible with you. This is an extraordinary passage of the Bible that the church has loved for centuries. Hear then the reading of the Word of God. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So far the reading from the book of 1 John. I read a story this week for the first time about a man, a Franciscan uh, monk named Maximilian Kolb, who was born in Poland and who in 1941 wrote an article in the paper opposing Hitler's fascism in Germany. And what do you think happened to Mr. Kolb? He was arrested and he was sent to Auschwitz. And Maximilian Kolb uh, was there with the other inmates in the concentration camp and someone escaped from Auschwitz. I wonder if you know what was the practice of the commandant at Auschwitz at that time. What he would do if someone escaped is he would choose ten men at random and he would send them down into a basement cell with no window, no furniture, and no food until they starved to death. And he figured that that would be a deterrent from anyone making arrangements to escape. And the day came when he started choosing ten men to go down into the death cell. And as one of the men was called and walked out, he burst into tears and he cried out for his wife. He cried out for his children. I'll never see them again. And Maximilian Kolb stepped forward and he said, I want to take his place 
And the commandant who despised Father Kolb said, fine with me. And he sent him down with the other nine men. And there they were. There were two other such cells at the same time, and in those cells, the men were screaming and crying and cursing and moaning. All they had was a pail for a toilet. That was it. The stench was unbearable, and starvation is a terrible way to die. But in this cell, Father Kolb encouraged the hearts of the other men, and he taught them to believe in God, and he taught them to believe in Christ, and he taught them to pray, yes, for each other, and he taught them to pray even for the guards that stood outside the doors, and there was calm in that cell. While the others cried and cursed, there was peace in that cell as men slowly died. And after three weeks, there were only three alive, one of them Father Kolb among them, and the guards had had enough of their blessing of their enemies, and they went in and killed those three by lethal injection. The man whose life was spared survived the war and was reunited with his wife and children, and the guards went on to write about this amazing testimony. What a story! Have you heard this one before? What a story of love! If there's ever an example of love, what an example! And we saw last week, and it was a hard sermon to preach, it was about the agenda of the devil, and the agenda of the devil is sin. The agenda of the devil is rebellion and pride and lust and arrogance and selfishness, and we agreed together that that's not the agenda we would prefer as Christians. And you know, in the ancient world, when a person became a Christian, they would be taken by the bishop in front of the whole church, and he would turn to them. You know, we have people when they join the church or before they're baptized, we ask them questions publicly about their faith, but we don't ask them like the bishops in the first century did. And the bishop would turn to them and say, do you renounce the devil and all his ways? Maybe that should be a part of our membership procedure too. But last week, we agreed we renounce the devil and all his ways, but this Sunday, John in this passage says, but what do we affirm? We affirm and embrace gladly the agenda of Jesus Christ. What is that agenda? It's love. It's love. To love one another. My great desire for us as a church family is that we will love each other here in this church. Love your brothers Love your sisters. That is our agenda because that's Christ's agenda. Sometimes our sins, as we said last week, are spectacular. Sometimes our sins are under the radar. <laughs> Nobody knows we hide them pretty nicely. Sometimes our love is spectacular, like Father Kolb. What spectacular example of love that was. But sometimes our love is simple, but it's the same. It's looking outside myself, practically, genuinely caring about someone else with sympathy, with thoughtfulness, with creativity, laying down my life for somebody else, sometimes in small ways, sometimes in big ways. North Shore Community Church, this is the message you heard from the beginning. That's how he starts this. And I think this is really interesting because at the beginning of the book, we're more than halfway through the book of 1 John in our study, he says, this is the message, God is light. 
Now he says, this is the message, love one another. But if, you know, if you're half awake a third of the time when you read through the Bible, you do learn that we learn about who the Lord is, and that motivates us to live in wonderful new ways. That's the, the you know, the, the grammarians, they call it the indicative, the truth. This is the truth about God, therefore the imperative, the command. So here's how you live. That's what he does right here. He says, this is the message. You heard it from the beginning. Love one another. And Christian, this is where it starts. What's the beginning? Well, the beginning is he says, we'll go back to Jesus. And somehow John is recalling the day as the disciples sat together and Jesus said to them what is in the back of your sermon outline, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, Jesus said, if you love one another. Okay? Now, the word love, of course, is the most overused and most elastic words in our lang- English language. It's used in all sorts of ways. Um, you know, we have the one English word. There's four Greek words uh, that you find in, in the ancient world that we just use the same word love for. Of course, there's the word philios, Philadelphia, brotherly love. That's love of friends. And there's the word um, eros, and we know what that is. That's, that's erotic attraction and desire. And there's the word storge. Storge means uh, preference. You know, I love coffee ice cream made into milkshakes, extra thick. Okay, anyway, uh, storge, that's storge. And, uh, and then there's agape. And that, that word, that is what he's using here. This remarkable word, this unique kind of love that lays down itself for another person, sees them at their need, and meets it willingly. Love. It's used so many ways. Elvis Presley has his way. John Lennon has his way. Even in the Bible, there are strange uses of the word love. You know, back in 2 Samuel 13 is that horrible story of Amnon and Tamar, where, if you know your Old Testament, Amnon fell in love with Tamar, right? Oh, he loved Tamar. He loved her so much that he deceived her, and then he raped her, and then he ruined her life, and after he was exposed, he started to hate her. And did he really love her? Oh, he said he loved her, but he didn't love her. He just had an appetite for her to do something for him. That's not love. Everywhere we look in the New Testament, we find love defined as a humble other-centeredness that sees a, a need. Maybe it's emotional, maybe it's physical, maybe it's practical, and then it meets it. And, and in this passage that I read to you, John gives us two positive examples. He says, Jesus Christ laying down His life, that's an example. And then he gets very mundane. He says, and, and look around you, and if you see a brother or sister who's hungry, or is not warm enough because they don't have a coat, step into their world and meet that need. But before he does that, and you'll notice on the back of your outline, I have a few words 
blank spaces for you to fill in. He teaches us by way of contrast. If you ask the question, how do I know if it's love? Well, he gives us three interesting contrasts with real love, and he's, it's uh, striking. He talks about murder, he talks about malice, and he talks about miserliness. That's what he does. He says, so, so if you want to know if the attitude and actions of my life are love, you have to ask, are you murderous? You can write that in. Are you murderous? Are you malicious? Are you miserly? Because that's... So in this very text of sacred Scripture, he says, here's how you know what's not love. So the first thing he says is he goes back to Cain. Now, I wonder who remembers who Cain was. Remember Cain and Abel, the children of Adam and Eve. And what did Cain do to Abel? Cain murdered his own brother. And John is interpreting this, and he says, and Cain drew inspiration from the devil. Somehow that slimy serpent still had influence. And so Cain became like the devil. And Jesus told us in John uh, uh, 8.46, He says, the devil is the great murderer. And so somehow murder is placed in Cain's heart, and he despises his brother, and he, and he murders him. The word uh, there is a very brutal word. It means like he slit his throat. You know, I don't think there's anybody here who's done that. But we're told here, if, if you disagree with your home fellowship group leader, if you're not in agreement and don't like what you're hearing in Sunday school, if you disagree with the preacher, murder is not an option, okay? Is that clear? That's, that's right of face value. That is not the way to go. Not in the church. But Cain, Cain despised his brother, and it, and it was really a religious war. It was, they were having a disagreement about religion. And we hear sometimes of religious wars, and frankly, the atheists love to attack the Christianity on this point. You know, guys like uh, Dawkins and Sam Harris, they say, the reason we need to eliminate religion from this world is because religion causes wars. And you know what? I just want to help you answer. What I say to my atheist friends when they parrot that religion causes wars is I say, you know, I don't think so. Those religious wars are really tribal conflicts. They are tribal conflicts, and what happens is the people of that particular tribe invoke their deity in order to rationalize and justify their murder and their mayhem and to seize what belongs to somebody else. But it's a tribal conflict. It's not a religious conflict or it rarely is a true religious conflict. It's just I need an excuse to hate someone and I use God to do it. That is terrible, and that's what Cain did, and so he slit his brother's throat. It's not love if there's murder. And then you say, whew, well, that leaves me off the hook, right? Not so fast, because now he's got two more contrasts in verse 15 and verse 17. And then he says in verse 15, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. What's he doing here? He's taking up the thought of Jesus. Remember, he was one of Jesus' disciples. And in 
Matthew 5.21, Jesus taught, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. That is very blunt. That if you have a malicious desire towards someone else, according to Jesus, you have murder in your heart. Am I fairly clear on this? And that's why we would all agree murder has no place in the church of Jesus Christ, but now it's saying love is not where there's malice. Look at verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And so here's the gospel message, gospel message that we love so much. You have been raised out of spiritual death. You've been drawn into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and so you've been drawn out of an atmosphere where your heart breeds murder and hatred and put in an atmosphere of love where you can actually inhale, as it were, the, 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 the air of heaven, the Holy Spirit itself, and it engenders in you not hatred but love. And I promise you that seated near you somewhere in this church is somebody who could tell you a story of how they grew up, and as a teenager, they were filled with malice and hate and resentment toward other people. And they met Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ lifted them up out of the miry clay of hatred, and He changed them, and they became lovers instead of haters. Someone sitting near you could tell you that story in one form or another because that's what Jesus does. And, you, and maybe you're here today and you say, oh, but John, I have such hatred in my heart. I just want to encourage you. Jesus Christ is in the business of cleaning that malice, a forethought that's in your heart. That's what He's about. He does the most amazing thing. It's it's good that John is so straightforward. If I hate somebody, he says, I'm no different from a murderer, and apparently I share a link to the devil. So John says, stop hating people. Now, I don't know if I've offended someone here this morning because, because maybe that hatred is just such a natural part of your life. You, you've never had it confronted before. Well, you know what? Christians should be able to be honest about their own souls better than anyone else in the world. I don't know what you're struggling with, what area you're struggling with, but I want to encourage you today. Christians can be honest about themselves. If anybody can. Why? Because Jesus has forgiven us our sins, and Jesus will forgive us our sins, and so we don't have to excuse them anymore. We don't have to build facades that hide them anymore. We can actually be honest. That's why John is so forthright, and maybe you've taken offense at somebody. Maybe they did you wrong, or maybe you even just have a perception, you know, a little bit of that paranoia that's in all of us. And you read that person wrong, and, and there is malice in your heart toward them. What John says is, be real, be honest, 
Invite the Lord to expose that in your own life and heart. And don't hate, especially here he's saying, don't hate your brother or sister in this church. Be jealous of somebody. Somebody else get praise that you thought you deserved. Is there, you know, somebody have so much grace about them that you resent them? Listen, just be honest with the Lord. As we come to communion today, maybe there's something in your life that you just simply want to lay before Him and ask Him not only for forgiveness, but for that, that change, that, that, a mir- that miracle of renewal in your heart so that you're free from the cancer of bitterness and you can actually put on love. Now, may, wait a minute, preacher. I know my Bible, somebody says. And doesn't it tell us in Psalm 97 verse 10, let those who love the Lord hate evil. I just want to be obedient, and I see that evil in that sister over there. I see that evil in that brother over there, and isn't it commanding me to hate them? What do you think? Well, Jesus, Jesus taught us a very sophisticated lesson in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, like that Father Kolb did down in that death cell. Pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Is Jesus contradicting the Old Testament? No, He's not. Let those who love the Lord hate evil, and so you should. And if you have a bad taste in your mouth because you see evil... You don't have to pretend that you think it's good. Never call evil good, but it's very dangerous to hate the sinner. And so I don't want to sound like a cliche. I would never want to do that. But the Bible says, hate the sin and love the sinner. And there is something accurate about that. Oh, yes, the wrath of God is on the wicked, but that's for God. (laughs) That's for God. Jesus Christ says, don't be like the tax collectors. They just love those who love them. No, you love those even who persecute you, who hate you. So it's not love if there's murder. It's not love if there's malice. And if you have that malice in you, well, you do some business with the Lord at communion today, okay? And then there's this third contrast in the passage, and it shows us what else love is not. Look carefully at verses 16 and 17. Actually, verse 17, it's saying that love cannot be where there is an attitude of miserliness in the heart. Are you miserly? And suddenly John brings us down to earth. Crash. He brings us down to earth. He says, if you don't get all this stuff about Jesus died in your place and and, uh, you don't get all of that, he says, well, if you see a brother or sister and they're hungry... And you don't have any compassion for them. You don't have any feeling. And notice he actually does say it's more than just writing a check. You actually care for that person in need. That you, if you don't have that in you, then the love of the Father is not in you. That's why 
the Apostle John again and again and again, and I hope the ministry of North Shore Community Church in every Sunday school class, in every small group, in every youth group meeting always points us back to Jesus Christ. That's what John does right here. He says, let's take a look at Jesus. And we are told of Jesus in verse 16 that He laid down His life. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. And what do you notice about this? If you want to understand love and you study Jesus, you see that it was voluntary. Hmm. It was not coerced. You know, kids, do your parents ever make you be nice to your sister? <laughs> ever, they ever say, you got to love your sister. Well, you know what? I, I mean, it's good that they're trying to train you, but it's voluntary. This is actually something that Jesus Christ decided to do. Nobody took His life away from Him. He went willingly to the cross. It was voluntary love. And so our love is the same way. And it was for others. It was a death on behalf of others. He laid down His life for us. It's interesting. The, 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 the preposition for, it's, it's, it's a different one than the usual one. It means in behalf of. You know what we learn here? We learn that redemption is particular. You know, Jesus didn't just sort of die so that maybe you could be saved. He didn't. Jesus Christ died and saved you. He laid down His life in place of, for you, for me. He died for you. It was particular for us. It couldn't be any clearer in the text. You didn't get here by accident. He summoned you. You didn't get here because you were more clever. Oh, I'm, I'm so clever, I'm going to church. But the Holy Spirit called you and summoned you and opened your eyes like the blind man. He unstopped your ears like the deaf man. He gave you feet to actually go to the church like the lame man. And He said, come, and you came. Christ Jesus laid down His life for us. It was a particular redemption, a loving redemption. I'm laying down my life for you. And because of that, you see somebody who's hungry, and you say, share my sandwich. Here's a couple of bucks. What Father Kolb did for one man, Jesus Christ did for millions. His church, His people, He laid down His life. And that's why in the conclusion here, we see that we are made new, filled in the blank. Are you made new? And are you motivated by Jesus Christ? What choice do you have? If He laid down His life for you in your union with Him, you're alive. And because of that now, you just can't wait to love people. You know, Father Kolb was a Franciscan. Who are they named after? Francis of Assisi. Anybody know Francis of Assisi? He was an amazing Christian, fascinating, uh, fascinating man. Francis of Assisi, so many things about him, but one thing about him was that he used to appreciate the manners of the court in a, in a kingdom. And he appreciated the manners of the court. That is, there were servants. I think the old-fashioned word is courtiers. I probably didn't say that right. But there were servants. There were a hundred servants to serve one king. 
And Francis of Assisi said, I like that. When the servants saw that the king needed something, lickety-split, whoever could get it done first wanted to serve the king. Francis of Assisi said, we can learn a lot from that if you do one thing, he said. What you need to do is picture yourself surrounded by a hundred kings and you are the courtier, you are the servant. And your life is to be lived in serving these kings and queens that are all around you, whoever crosses your path. Because Jesus Christ laid down His life for you, you actually find your life to be an adventure. You you young people, you children, your life is an adventure of seeing people who have particular needs and then being kind to them and being courteous to them and sharing with them. And you know what? Some of the children of this church have this down so much better than the adults. Some of our children are so generous in this church. And it's a beautiful thing that's becoming like a child. How many, I mean, yes, children can be very selfish, but there's also in a, in a moment of reflecting the image of Jesus Christ, some children are just so naturally generous, wanting to share Francis of Assisi said, my life is an adventure of being surrounded by kings and me being the servant and whoever crosses my path. Why? Because Jesus Christ laid down His life for me, and so I lay down my life for others. You can do this. You can do this. Yes, Jesus is going to do some work in your own heart, in your own attitudes, but you can do this. Why? Because you're a Christian now. And when you see a need in the body of Christ, this is the first order of business is in the body of Christ, you're to meet it. And so there's a man in our church, and every time there's a moving van and somebody's loading up their moving van, he's the first one there in the morning, and he sweats all day, and he's the last one to leave with a smile on his face. Why does he do that? Because he loves people. There's a woman in our church who prepares coffee, hot coffee and juice, cold juice and bagels and prepares a feast for us every Sunday. Why would she do that? There's a man in our church who this year has spent hundreds of hours with our teenagers and he hasn't been paid a penny. But he shows up for their events and he opens up his heart to them and he loves on them. Why does he do this? There's a woman in our church who has organized and manages and oversees the food pantry, the distribution of food to people who feel a little bit ashamed that they have to come to our building on Saturday mornings and, and get a bag of groceries. And she sets them at ease and welcomes them and makes them feel like they have some dignity. Why does she do that? There's a guy in our church that everybody calls with their computer problem. Hey, it's frozen again. What do I do? You know, the the mouse is at the edge of the mouse pad. What do I do next? You know, with all our goofy questions, and we call him up, and he's so patient. Why does he do? There's a man in this church, every time there's a disaster, the tsunami in Japan, 
the earthquake in Haiti, the, the tornado through Joplin, and I know my phone is going to ring, and he says, Pastor John, are we taking a special collection to help these people? Why does he want to take his hard-earned money and write a check to our benevolent fund so that we can send that money out into, through the church to a Christian organization that's going to meet somebody's need? Why does he call me? It's, it's like clockwork. There are people who clean their house every week in this church so that home fellowship groups can come into their home and then they let the people in and then after they leave late at night, they clean up the house again. They do it week after week after week. Why do they do that? There's a man in our church who visits people in the hospital, people who are frightened, some people who are dying, and he comforts them and prays with them. It says, believe in Christ to them, and they do. Why does he do that? You can do that. You can do that. God wired you in some unique ways. Jesus laid down his life for you. He substituted himself for you. We call that vicarious penal substitution. The wrath fell on him so that it doesn't fall on you. And now you're like Francis of Assisi. Oh yeah, Father Kolb did it for one man, and that was glorious, but Jesus did it for all His people. And now you, you are like Francis of Assisi, and there's, you're surrounded by kings, and you will serve naturally. It's just the way it's going to be. I know it will be. I long for that in our church more and more. I know you do too. And so, this is now communion. This is why we come to communion. And if there's murder in your heart, this is the time to confess it. If there's malice in your soul, this is the time to confess it. Husbands, do you have malice toward your wives? Wives, do you have malice toward your husbands? Parents, do you have malice toward your children? Children, do you have malice toward your parents? Employee, do you have malice toward your boss? Employers, do you have malice toward your employees? Small group members, do you have animosity toward the elder of your church? Elders, and I can go on. This is the time to bring it to the Lord and let Him just searchlight, bring the searchlight to your heart. But that's not all we're going to do now. And then what we want to do is say, now, Jesus, as I feed on you, as I drink the cup, and as I eat the bread, will you energize me to love? Energize me to love like you love. So the world will know how great and how glorious you are. Let's do that together now. Let's do that together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to communion, to that time which is a kiss from you where we are forced to do business with you. We're forced to be honest, and we just thank you that we have the, the right and the safe place to be honest with you about our sins where we fail to love. We also want to say we are glad to be sitting here together as a church family 
And we want to pray that you enable us and empower us to love like you love. And I'm the first in line, Lord, to confess sometimes I'm not very good at it. But I know you are good at it, and you want to do new things in me. You want to do that in each person here. So we're going to have a time to ponder and contemplate. Um, Touch each one of us, we pray. Let no one leave here unchanged. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a meal. It's, it's a, not really a big meal. You get a little piece of matzah and you get a little fruit of the vine, but what you get is Christ. It's a spiritual presence of Jesus Christ. Th- these are just matzah and fruit of the vine, but we believe in the spiritual, real spiritual presence of Christ as we participate by faith. And so, so let Him minister to you. If you're not a Uh, a member of the church of Jesus Christ, well, we invite you not to participate. Instead, just to pass it by. You don't have to be a member of our church, but you should be a baptized member of a church somewhere uh, that you have professed your faith, and then you can participate. Um, this, This is for the disciples of Jesus. Our Lord Jesus, the night He was betrayed, He took bread and He broke it, and He gave it to His disciples as I, ministering in His name, give it to you. He said, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So, we're just going to be quiet now, and I'm going to let you pray. Maybe you need to confess murder or malice or miserliness in your heart, as I will do. And um, let's invite cleansing. And then let's ask Him for strength and a commitment and willingness to love.
Receive the bread and feed now on Christ in your hearts by faith. Amen. You know what the Lord said to me, and pressed on my heart anyway, made me think of? You know, I'm a, I'm a preacher, and I'm willing to go into the jungles of Benin, into these voodoo villages where the thugs <laughs> hate us, and we've done that because we love them and we want them to prosper, but the Lord would say to me, John, are you willing to wash the dishes <laughs> when the sink is full? Are you willing to go out in the backyard and clean up after the dog when you want to read a book? Are you willing to get out of bed and go be with someone who's in need in the middle of the night? That's love, too. I know, I know that many of you, if you were in Father Kolb's situation, you would probably do that, but will you wash the dishes? You see, we need strength from Jesus, don't we? Our Savior, after supper, took the cup, and He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured for many for the remission of sins. All of you drink of it. And so... There's real hope in this, this distribution of the cup. Jesus knew that we fall short, but he is uncompromising in his call to us to show love. It's humbling to love other people. We need that in this church. We need each other to humble ourselves and to love one another. We're going to sing this old, beautiful American folk hymn from 1 Corinthians 13. Mm -hmm. 